Good morning, everyone. Hope you're doing well. Thank you guys for those of you who are here in the house. Uh, thank you guys for being here. For those of you who are watching online, appreciate you guys joining in. And for those who are on the backstage patio, we're glad that you are here as well. Uh, for those of you I don't know, my name's Todd. Really glad that you guys have come together. It's actually week six of our series. Yes, week six of our series on uh, the parables of Jesus. We called it short stories. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, as we continue this series. Next week, we'll take a little bit of a break from it, and we'll come back for the last of uh, three messages before we turn the corner on fall. Fall. Doesn't that sound really good right now? Man, I don't know about you. I'm in the doldrums of summer. I am ready for the fall. I'm totally messing up your vibe if you're here from Ohio on vacation, I realize, but man, we're sick of it down here. So anyway, sick of the heat and the, all the uh, thunderstorms in the afternoon. Wah, wah, wah. Anyway, hey. <laughs> uh, I'm really glad that you're here today. Um, how many of you have ever hosted a party and no, zero to very few people have showed up? I'm raising my hand right here. Last fall. It happened last fall to me. So, uh, you guys are like, yeah, me, because yeah, you don't want to embarrass someone around you, right? Come on, let's be honest. How many of you have ever hosted a party and you had very few people who you invited showed up, right? Raise your hand. It's all right. It's honest. Time to be honest right here in church this morning. Um, I, I remember so we last fall, um, you know, we were trying to like do the COVID thing. And so we had a little thing out by the fire pit and we ordered a bunch of stuff and we just had a few people show up. So that was a lot of fun. But I remember one time in, in church, this is years ago at our church in Atlanta, um, I suggested I thought it would be a great idea to have a Super Bowl party at church, all right? So um, in church work, when if you're on staff and you recommend something or you suggest something, you're doing the something. So anyway, so I was in charge of the Super Bowl party, and we made a big deal out of the Super Bowl party. We had food. We were ready to go, ready to rock and roll. I can't even remember who was playing. It was not the Falcons. That I'm sure of. Anyway, it was way before they were good. Anyway, that's a whole story. Anyway, uh, but <laughs> um, uh, we, we rolled out the red carpet, and we had a grand total of three people show up. And I had a bunch of egg on my face. <laughs> um, and by the way, one of the three was me. So uh, I decided we would never host a Super Bowl party again. But Justin did it for our students last, last year for the Super Bowl. And we had like 40 students out here, man. So it must have been me. Anyway, I don't know if you've ever hosted a party and you really were disappointed because very few people showed up. But Jesus tells a story in Matthew chapter 22 uh, in his many of the parables, and this one is about the kingdom of God, and he tells this story about a king who has a party. It happens to be a wedding party or a wedding feast, and, and very few people show up. And I want you to capture maybe the emotion or kind of the sense of the king here as we read through Matthew chapter 22. We're going to read verses 1 through 14 straight through the parable. I want you to capture maybe the up and down emotion the king may be facing. And, and at the end of the parable, you're probably going to maybe not feel quite as sorry for the king. And that's the whole reason we're doing this today is to explain what Jesus was trying to communicate to his listeners and followers back in the first century. And my prayer and my hope is we can learn a few things, I think three maybe important lessons, at least three important lessons from this story that Jesus tells. Here we go, Matthew chapter 22. 
And Jesus, and again Jesus, spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they wouldn't come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who were invited, See, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves, uh, um, and, and I have, uh, my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized, uh, while the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry, and he sent his troops and destroyed those murderers who burn and burned their cities. Then he said to the servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited, they weren't worthy. Go, therefore, to the main roads and invite the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads. Can you imagine those servants at this point in time? Like, wait, what? Uh, we know what happened to the first group of guys. And gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But the king came in to look at the guests, and he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend... How did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, Bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. And I'm sure that you guys all understand the whole point of this parable, right? It's an interesting parable. There's a lots of, lot of ups and downs just in this one short parable, just these 14 verses, where the king is being described as sometimes someone who you and I might describe as, as mad, um, someone who you might describe as passionate, and we're going to talk about passion in a moment. You, you might describe him as someone who's you know, maybe kind of like gone crazy or maybe like he needs some help um, or maybe he needs an assistant to help him with some things. And it's so interesting because Jesus is describing here a few things about the kingdom of God. And remember, that's how he begins. He describes this particular parable, and he actually comes right out, and he says the kingdom of God is like, or it's compared to. And so we know that he's trying to describe the kingdom of God. And so part of the problem here is that we get wrapped up in the characters, which are important, but we get so wrapped up in what the king does here that we forget that Jesus is actually trying to describe to us the kingdom of God. And so that's where we are with, with Jesus, and I'm going to talk about who he's talking to in a moment, but, but I want to give you a little bit of background on first century weddings. Um, now, I, I don't know much about first century weddings, so I had to look this up and I had to do a little research myself, but as a pastor, I'm kind of familiar with modern day weddings, right? And um, weddings are a big deal. I, I probably have been uh, a pastor for a long time now, and I'm getting close to about 100 weddings. Now, um, I don't do a lot of weddings. Um, it's just not something that, like, 
I do them here in the church, and I do them for people that are connected. Not meant too many destination weddings and that sort of thing, which is a big thing on Hilton Head, um, because they take a lot of time. And to be honest with you, the thing is, is like as a as a a, a wedding officiant, you want to meet the needs and the requests and the desires and the demands of the bride and the family, right? And sometimes as a pastor, you can't always do that. And so I want to be singularly focused. And so I, I do probably about four weddings um, a, a year. But I love weddings. I love doing them. And I love seeing the couple go through the process of, of preparing for their marriage and preparing for the wedding. But weddings in our day and age are, are in some ways very different than they were in the first century. Culturally, they're very different. But in many ways... Like the big feast part of it, the opulence and that sort of thing that people have today, you probably could say it's very similar. In the first century, if you had money, and we're talking about a king here in Jesus' story, so they definitely had money. If you had money, if you had any kind of wealth at all, you were throwing a party. This was a big deal. And sometimes the wedding itself was separate from the wedding feast, kind of just depended on who was coming and that sort of thing. And so we see here in, in this, in this uh, particular story that Jesus tells that this king actually makes three invitations. Now, in the first century, it was very common to make an invitation twice. You would put the list together, and you would send out what we call today a uh, save the what? Save the date, right? And you put it on your refrigerator and you forget about it until the night before. All right. So that's how it works sometimes, right? I'm sorry, ladies. It's true. All right. Um, and so I'm so thankful for Cynthia because she makes sure that we go to the weddings that we're invited to. And so the, 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 the one who is putting on the wedding feast, the host of the wedding feast in that day and age, they would send out essentially what is a save the day. Hey, we are having this wedding feast. You are invited. Make sure that you know that you're invited. But the second thing that they would do is on the day of the wedding feast, they would send their servants, as we see in this story, they would send their servants out to those who were invited, and they would make an announcement. The feast is ready. It's time to come to the wedding. It's time to gather at the wedding. And so this second alert, if you will, the second notification, if you will, was something that was very common. The problem in his story is that at this point in time, nobody's showing up for the wedding. And it sounds to me like all the guys are like, I don't really want to go to the wedding. I've got work at the farm. The office called. We got to go to the office. I'm not going to be able to go to the wedding. Are you, are you with me, guys? Right? Like, that's kind of our mindset sometimes. And so nobody's showing up at the wedding. And so the king in this case, the host in this case, he sends his servants back out to reach more people who were invited and some who weren't even invited the first time. And so the characters are the king or the host. The characters are the sons kind of in the background, to be honest with you. The, the real character in this story are the servants, because they're the ones that are doing the bidding for the king. And then you have the invitees, the, the kind of three phases of invitees. And then also you have another character that I would say is a little bit of a, a character that doesn't kind of jump out. But it's the clothing 
in the wedding is somewhat of a character. And so I want to talk about a few of these characters, and I want to talk about the king or the host in this wedding, because what Jesus is talking about, and you'll understand here in a moment that who he was talking to really sets the stage for a message about reaching people with the good news of Jesus Christ. The king desires for everyone who's been invited to be at the feast. That's natural and normal, right? From our standpoint, we bought the food. You know, he killed the, the calves. Uh, you know, he has prepared everything at his home to, to have these guests come in. And so he wants them to be a part of it. But there's something deeper here that we see, and I think we see in the king this passion of wanting people to be there. I love what he says here in verse 3, when Jesus talks about this king who gives the wedding feast, how he sent his servant to call those who were being invited, or had been invited to a wedding feast, but wouldn't come. You see, this is the equivalent of someone who has heard the good news of Jesus, the gospel message, who has received the invitation from Jesus, essentially saying no, and the host, Jesus, the king, the one who's putting on the wedding feast, is saying no is not good enough. And so he so desires that they come to the feast, that he come into the kingdom, that he would risk sending out servants Again, verse 4, he sent other servants saying, tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves. Um, sounds like they're having roast beef, maybe, right? Um, or, or ribeye, man, that's my favorite ribeye, yeah, all right. Um, if, if you're a vegetarian or vegan, this is not the wedding feast to go to, I don't think. So anyway, um, he has prepared this, and he so desires that those who have been invited come that he sends them out twice. But look at this, after they were seized and killed, he got angry, so he sent his troops out and destroyed the cities, verse 7. But then he said to his servants, once again, the wedding feast is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go, therefore, I want you to look at verse 9. Verse 9, I think, is the key verse. He says, go, therefore, to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast, what's it say? As many as you what? Fine. Invite as many as you find. Invite anyone who will come. It's the way I felt on Super Bowl Sunday back in, I think it was like 2005. Like, just invite anyone. If you're living or breathing, please just come to my Super Bowl party, man. <laughs> Got the chips and the dip and the whole thing. Go to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. In verse 10, and those servants went into the road and gathered all whom they found. What does it say? Both bad and good. I want you to say that with me again. Both bad and good. So that the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now, I want to stop there for a second. I think there's two lessons at this point that we can learn from this parable that Jesus is telling. Now, one thing we have to understand is that Jesus is telling this parable, and just in the passage before, in, in one of the parables that he tells in, in the chapter before, 
um, he is telling a parable to religious people about the fact that they can't be religious enough to get into the kingdom, that there must be an invitation. And it's kind of funny because he's done telling the parable and the Pharisees and the Sadducees look at each other and the way that the previous chapter ends is they're like, hey, uh, I think he's talking to us. I think he's talking to us. And it's almost like they have this aha moment and realize that Jesus, when he's given these parables about the kingdom of God, isn't talking about the ones who are already in the kingdom of God, but he is passionate about the ones who are not yet in the kingdom. And so he begins in verse 1 by saying, and again, Jesus spoke to them. To them. The ones that had just recently had the aha moment. Of, well, wait a minute. I think he's talking to us. And essentially, Jesus is setting the stage for a group of people who on their own merit of good and on their own, on, on their own uh, ability to accomplish good things and on their own ability to follow a bunch of rules, many of which were, which were man-made, he is speaking to a group of people who think that they are so righteous that their righteousness is the thing that gets them into heaven. And Jesus is trying to widely expand their scope. And so one of the first lessons that I think we can learn from this particular parable is the extreme passion of the king to have people at the wedding feast who don't normally feel worthy. It's the extreme passion that Jesus is trying to communicate to religious people that there are those out there who are way beyond the scope of where we would normally go they are the ones that need to be here. There's room at the table. As a matter of fact, there's a lot of room at the table. And so we see this extreme passion of the king. And that's just like Jesus when it comes to the kingdom of God. He is so incredibly passionate about you and me. And if you're someone who's in here and you've followed all the rules and you've done all the right things and you've checked all the right religious boxes, yes, he is passionate about you. And he wants you to know that it's great you've done all those things, but it's not the thing that's going to get you into the kingdom. It's not. It's not. It's what he has done for you. It's what he has done for me. It's what he has done for all the good, verse 9, and bad. And so we see from the king the extreme passion, from the host, this extreme passion. And I want to ask a question today. Is your passion and is my passion for those who are in the far reaches of the city, does it equal Jesus' passion? Man, man I, I just want to stop for a second because um, I, I think that we like to say yes, and, and we've got these seven words up on this wall that talk about us loving our community, and we talk about you know, reaching and growing and empowering, and we talk about all these different things, and we talk about being a community church, 
But the fact is, is that the natural course and direction of church just is inward. It's not outward. And I think the challenge for the church, this this church included, but the church, the modern day church, is that this is not an exclusive club. The kingdom of God is a wedding feast that the host has designed for all people, those who accept the invitation. And the king goes to great lengths, and it's kind of the the second point. It's the extent of the invitation. The king goes to great lengths to reach those who are far beyond the main streets. We already saw it was dangerous for his servants, right? It's dangerous for those of us who are Christ followers to reach people with the gospel. In our day and age, we'll be ridiculed, we'll be mocked, we'll be made fun of, might even be persecuted. And in places in this world, there are Christians who are taking the gospel message to places where they have the potential of losing their lives in doing so. The host, the king, is concerned about all. Those who have been invited once, those who have been invited a second time, those who who have the save the date card, those who have the notification, those who didn't come, but he's also concerned about those who are far, far, far from God. In church, I think it's so easy for me and it's easy for us to kind of slip into this inward-focused thing. It's just the natural. It's like a giant magnet. It's just something that, that, like, Christians do. We get so excited about fellowship and community and communion with each other, which we should, that we just come together like this, and all of a sudden, we have forgotten about the good and the bad people that are way past the main road. And all we're doing is collecting together people who have already been invited and already accepted and already been invited and already been accepted. And Jesus is trying to drive home a point to religious people that it is time for us to go past the main roads. It's time for us to go past the familiar. It's time for us to go past what we're comfortable with and reach people who may be different than us, who look different than us, have a different life than us, who have a different culture than us, who maybe we're a little bit afraid of who we may think of and go, you know what, I know someone who got ridiculed and I'm not going there. And Jesus is saying, hey, it's, that, that's, the, that's the extent of my passion. It's the extent of the invitation. And so I wonder what lengths we as a church, this church, Hilton Head Island Community Church, what lengths are we willing to go to to invite those Good and bad. Is our passion for those who aren't at the wedding feast consistent with God's, or are we just kind of ho-hum about it? If you've been a Christian for any length of time, you know that God gives spiritual gifts out, and we, we've had message series about those, and if, you, um, if you're someone who becomes a member of Hilton Head Island Community Church, you'll take a spiritual gifts test to, so that we can help find your, your best area of gifting inside the walls of this church, which is so much better than just randomly saying, hey, you're with the babies in the nursery. 
Um, am I right? <laughs> or even though you might not be an extrovert, we're going to make you a greeter. Uh, like, that's kind of, that's not how we roll. We want to fit you in. And so one of those spiritual gifts is evangelism. But the problem is in the church is, is like, we all think someone else is responsible for evangelism. I don't have the gift of evangelism. Someone else does. We often can't name who the other person is. And it's a bit of the hot potato in the church. I, I, I don't want it. You get it. No, I don't, I don't want it. You get it. You get it. You, you, you get it. You, you can take it. You can take it. No, I don't want to take it. It's too hot. And the message here is it's for us. It's for us to see and think and live and breathe in those places that are beyond the main roads of life. It's a message of, for us of roll up your sleeves and be willing to get a little bit dirty because there's this amazing feast and there are very few that have accepted the invitation. And the last thing I want to talk about is kind of the lasting impact that we have of the king, which, to be really honest, it really isn't that great, is it? We see him come out and we see him Look at the attendants in verse 13. The king said to the attendants, looks at him, excuse me, let me go back one more verse. Uh, and he, uh, two more verses, verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guest, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment. Now, in the first century, uh, or in this century of, of weddings, in the first century of weddings, um, the, the host of the wedding or someone who had the means would often loan out a specific wedding garment. And this was essentially like the list of guests. Like if you showed up in this wedding garment, you were allowed in. It was like your name's on the list. Oh, yeah, you're allowed in, you're allowed in, you're allowed in. And this one man is allowed in who doesn't have the wedding garment. And that's the first thing the king sees. When the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there a man who had no wedding garment this guy would have stood out. Have you ever stood out because you didn't have the right clothes on? <laughs> I've been there before, man. I really, like, I grew up in, in a church environment where you put on a coat and tie. How many of you grew up in that kind of church environment? All right. Man, when, if people walk in with a coat and tie, please don't make fun of them. Like, in our kind of environment, I really don't want you to make fun of them because that's kind of a norm. But, boy, if you show up here... In Hilton Head Island, South Carolina, at this church in a coat and tie, you probably feel like you stand out, right? Like going to the beach in jeans, if you do that, no offense to you. But like that's how this man felt, right? Yeah. So, and he says, friend, how did you get in here without wearing a garment? How did you get in here without wear, wearing a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to the attendant, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. Cast him in the outer darkness, in the place where there were weeping and gnashing of teeth. And then Jesus ends by saying this, for many are called, but few are chosen. And man, this gets really confusing. It just does. Many are called, but few are chosen. Remember who Jesus is speaking to. He's speaking to people who are religious. 
And he uses these words, called and chosen, on purpose to drive home a point to those religious people who had a very, very, very small focus on who they could or should reach. And Jesus rocks their world by saying this. John Piper, the pastor and great theologian of our day and age, pointed out that the English word set, S-E-T, has over 400 different definitions. And so called and chosen are a little bit hard to figure out. But here's what Jesus is essentially saying. Is he's saying that all of those who have received an invitation have the opportunity to come in to the wedding feast. Those are called invitees. Those are the called. The ones that are chosen, in this case, the chosen are the ones that have chosen for themselves to wear the wedding garment, which, by the way, is a beautiful picture of the righteousness of Christ that we receive when we accept him as our Savior. That's the chosen. The ones who choose him, who say, I'm going to put on the righteousness of Christ. I'm going to go to the wedding feast. Man, I've heard there's prime rib. I'm choosing to go. And as soon as they show up with that wedding garb on, you know what the door does? It opens. It's wide open. That's chosen. That's chosen. See, the invitation, church, is for all to accept the gift of salvation. It is a door that is wide, and it's open for all who will believe. It's open for all who will accept the good and the what? And the ugly. <laughs> like that door is wide open. And if the one who is hosting the wedding is so incredibly passionate about the good, the bad, and the ugly coming to the feast, shouldn't we also be passionate about seeing people come to the kingdom of God? If the invitation is so extreme that it would be offered once and twice and a third time. Shouldn't we also follow in the way of the one who's extended this great, far-reaching invitation for people to come to the kingdom? You see, we read this passage and we think exclusivity, and that's exactly the opposite of what Jesus was speaking of here. The exclusivity comes to those who accept Jesus as their Savior and put on that wedding garb and show up at the feast and the door opens wide because they've accepted the invitation of the King. Man, my prayer is that Hilton Head Island Community Church, our prayer is that Hilton Head Island Community Church would be a church that walks in the same style and that same passion of, of the King the host that we are 
behind him in terms of the extent of the invitation. <laughs> and my prayer for you is, is that you're someone who's received that invitation. And you say, you know what, I'm going to take up the invitation. I'm going to put that wedding garb on. Yeah, it's going to be a little bit uncomfortable. But man, it takes all my sin away. It gives me a relationship with God. And my life may have been good, might have been bad, but it doesn't matter. The invitation came to my door, and I'm going to go to the wedding. My prayer is, is that if you've never given your life to Christ, that you would accept that invitation to put the old behind and walk in the new. And to one day, when this life is over, know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you will live for eternity in heaven because he promised it and he invited you and he sacrificed on the cross for your sins and mine. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, I pray that you would break through any walls that exist in this room for those who are listening, watching. Maybe there's a person or a group of people that I, that we have said, there's no way they're invited. No way. No possible way. They've done too much wrong. Too many sins. Too many charges way too many convictions they don't look like a Christian act like a Christian talk like a Christian or anything father I pray if there's any of that spirit of exclusivity in this place I repent of it if it's in my life I repent of it father I give it to you and father I pray that you would rid this church of it and I pray that we would walk in the passion and the extreme passion that you have for the people that are not just on the main roads but they're way beyond it father that we would take up the the invitation and that we would share it with those who are far 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 from you and maybe even have never been invited to the wedding god i pray that we would be the type of people who would be willing say yes and taking the invitation to those who seemingly least deserve it and father I pray in the strong name of Jesus for anyone who may be listening and they have they know they have an invitation to accept the forgiveness of sin that you offer and as a result of what you did on the cross they have the hope of eternity in heaven one day and they've just continued to put the invitation on the counter and just leave it there. They've decided that they're not going to wear the garments. Father, I pray in the strong name of Jesus that you would bring them to a place where they would say yes right now, that they would self-select into your kingdom. If you're here today or if you're listening today or maybe on the backstage patio and you've never accepted Jesus as your Savior, I'm going to ask you right now just to just to be invited to, to one more time, have the opportunity to say yes. And regardless of how many times that you've said no to this invitation, I plead with you, I challenge you, and I invite you to say yes to Jesus. The Bible says, uh, if we believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths 
that Jesus is Lord, we will be saved. And today, I want to invite you to do that if you've never done that. I'm going to pray a short prayer out loud. And if you want to accept the invitation of Jesus to this wedding feast, an eternity with him in heaven and forgiveness of your sins, I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer right now along with me. God, thank you for bringing me to this place today. And today I realize that I do not have the hope of heaven without you. I realize there's nothing I can do that's good enough or outdoes any of my sin that you did it all on the cross. And today I accept your invitation to heaven. I choose to put my trust in you, Jesus, to be my Savior. If you accepted that invitation for salvation today, I want to encourage you. This door to my right will be open. We've got an interactive prayer experience station in our backstage. I'm going to be down front here. I'd love for you to come and talk to me. I'd love for you to come and talk to one of our Stephen ministers. Stephen's ministers will be back there. Um, after the service is over. And I want to encourage you to get involved in a church where you can grow in your faith walk, where you can learn more about God's word. I want to encourage you to learn what it means to pray and to to seek him every day and have a, a vibrant life in Christ. Father, I thank you so much for the invitation that you've given each one of us. And God, I thank you so much that this wedding banquet is, it's open for all of us. And even when the hall was full, there's still room. Thank you so much that you loved us so much that you invited us into the best feast that we could ever attend. Help us to be aware of the fullest meaning. In Jesus' name, I pray. And all God's people said, amen.